Well, in the just few weeks of being a new dad, uh, what's come to the surface very clearly is I have two very specific heroes. The first are single parents. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, it, and so, like, I thought that I had a, a good appreciation for, for all the single parents that I know that are flat out getting it done. But having a teammate in my wife, having a partner in this great effort of getting up around the clock and taking care of, of this child and being able to encourage each other in this endeavor, reminding us that each other that we're not alone in this is a big deal. And so I've just been thinking about and praying for all the single parents that I know. And so they are my hero. And I, I say that not to just to give them props, but if, if you know any single parent, Find out what you can do to not just encourage them, but help them, to give them a break, to show up to them. Like, they're just, they're doing great work, and it's amazing. And I even thought before, you know, we had Levi, hey, that'd be cool to have twins. But now it's like, <laughs> that wouldn't be cool at all. <laughs> Many of you have gone down that route. I know we have people, we have families in our church, you've had triplets, right? Like, come on, the, no thank you. That, I'm sure a lot of love to go around, but, you know, that's just, you know, significant burnout. So single parents uh, are my heroes, you know, here of the last few weeks. The other is my wife. Just, you know, nine months, right? Nine, almost nine months. Baby came uh, 12 days early uh, of, of carrying that baby and, and being a second grade teacher and, you know, every single day and going all out. And uh, so give you just a glimpse, right? There's always more details to the story, but our journey to delivery, my wife being a second grade teacher was determined to finish the school year with the kids, which would have been Friday, May 26th, May 25th. And so she went Thursday, uh, you know, to school. And that Wednesday night, we were out to dinner, and uh, it was one of those situations where she has an app on her phone that kind of times contractions. And so the waitress came to the table, and, you know, we told her, because, right, you don't want to be those people. Yeah, we're checking our phones during dinner kind of thing. Like, well, she has to have that out because she's timing her contractions. Of course, the waitress like, seriously, what are you guys doing here? You're going to go to the hospital right after. And so, right, we're like, okay. And now my wife's determined. And so Thursday morning, you know, I say, hey, just act like this is the last day of school because, you know, there's a pretty good chance that it will be. And I'm just hoping she's going to make it to noon. You know, she has gifts to give to the kids. She spent the whole school year with them, right? The, the, the teachers, it becomes like their family, right? And so she goes and she makes it to the end of the day. And at the end of the day, they do a talent show, the whole school, New Haven, out in Union uh, and School District. Um, she's at New Haven Elementary, and so the second grade team of teachers, they, do, they take part in the talent show, and they do like the floss dance. She, she's on stage doing the floss dance. We don't know it at the time, but she, there's video footage of this. We're not going to show it on a Sunday morning, but you can ask for that later. And, and you know, it, 10 hours after she's doing this floss dance on stage, she gives birth to Levi. And so she comes home that day. We're trying to, you know, time it out, 511. Y'all, the new parents, you know, know about that because you don't want to go too early. And so we eventually get to the hospital about 730. And, uh, you know, she ends up getting an epidural, skipping a lot of details here, right? And then she goes pretty quickly there. And uh, she starts pushing at 12.06 a.m. This is May 25th, and they say, you know, about one to three hours, the doctor had walked in, and we hadn't even met the doctor that was going to be delivering, and the first thing the doctor said is, hey, I don't know how competitive you guys are, but earlier this morning, uh, mom gave birth in uh, 31 minutes. <laughs> I was like, that's nice, right? Like, I don't care about anybody else's baby right now. I was like, like right? You're kidding. It's my first one, a little stressful as it is. Just take care of my wife, not here to set any records, and so the... <laughs> Yeah. My wife's the second hour. I feel like I could be more wide open with you guys. She's not here, but 
And so she starts pushing at 12.06, and uh, you know, over the course of four contractions, she ends up delivering Levi at 12.20 a.m. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. Like, right? It's like, first time mom. Yeah. All the hesitant claps are from the moms who've been through it, right? Like, <laughs> that's cute. That's nice. And so, em- yeah. First one, that's not, yeah. Emily and I joke, like, no other woman will ever have sympathy for her story. Well, 14 minutes, yeah, great, great work. Yeah, right, okay. <laughs> and so, he was born May 25th on my dad's birthday. So, and so, 11 p.m. on May 24th, you know, we're giving my dad updates and, you know, find out things are moving along pretty fast. And, and my dad's like, she's going to wait, right? She's going to wait. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so here, yeah, of course, we got pictures, you know, here from the hospital. We got the three of us. Uh, and there's uh, Levi, Stephen there on the left. Now, of course, you know, you enjoy just, you know, watching your, your baby grow up and the expressions that he makes. We got another picture here. <laughs> He's like, what are you looking at me for kind of thing. You know, I love the wrinkles in the forehead. He looks like a little old man. It's great. <laughs> and then uh, this one was just about a week and a half ago. That's probably... So he, he only smiles like in that transition stage when he's falling asleep. So apparently he enjoys sleep more than being awake, but not enough to stay asleep during the night when we're sleeping. But <laughs> Now, I thought that picture was cool. Then my dad, my mom and dad came to town last night, and my dad owns his own shop. He makes like banners and, and trophies and T-shirts and things like that. And so he's always coming up with different designs. And so apparently I'm not the only one that loved that look. Here's, here's my dad. <laughs> That's hilarious. So he, he, Papa Paul's birthday buddy, May 25th. So they, uh, they share a birthday forever. My dad is obviously ecstatic. Now, some of you, especially first time guests, you're like, really? Okay, now we're going to transition into an actual message this morning. Here it is. <laughs> like I said, I don't think I'll be showing pictures every week, but stay tuned. And this, this is really relevant as far as this journey and, and what I've fully experienced when I, when I consider God as a father and what's at stake, you know, for us as parents. Because, uh, you know, we went home from the hospital and, and really enjoyed that time off, you know, just being a family, feel like we're playing house, you know, we're incompetent, don't, don't know what we're doing. And so uh, just trying to take good care of him. And so six days after we were home, May 31st, Emily was feeling great. And, uh, you know, of course, we'd, she'd been with the babies, you know, the entire time leading up to that point. But she wanted to go to a funeral visitation for one of her, uh, uh, her the teachers at New Haven that's on her team because her mom had passed away and it was like four miles down the street. So we talked about it, like, well, I'll just stay, you know, home with Levi, you know, just not get him out. That would be the simple way to go. And so she goes to the funeral visitation on the way back. This was May 31st, six days after she gave birth. She's on Camp Ernst Road, about a quarter mile away from our subdivision entrance. And uh, she had a car accident. And uh, I know some of you have already heard about this, but this is really kind of the the fullness, the weight of really what I want to speak into today. Um, She was on her way home, and there was a a high school girl and somebody else in the car who came into Emily's lane, and they got out of control, and they were going too fast. And so Emily saw that they were coming. This girl was coming right at her, and so Emily did the right thing. She didn't jerk to the right, but she kind of veered to the right to try to miss her, but still needed that girl's help to totally miss her. And unfortunately, that girl still hit her, and it's hard to say exactly how fast she was going. Um, But the combination of the impact and then the ditch that was right there, Emily's car ended up flipping. And so, I mean, this is a pretty traumatic thing. And and so she was fortunately okay. I mean, the side airbag, uh, you know, came out, and, you know, she has a mark from the seatbelt. And 
you know, probably be buying Mazdas the rest of our life because that car, you know, definitely, definitely helped her through that. And she doesn't have anything physically lasting. Her hearing in her left ear hasn't come all the way back yet. Um, but obviously, that was a traumatic thing to, you know, go out of my house with a newborn, you know, in my hands and hearing sirens, knowing it's for my wife and showing up to that scene. And they took great care of her. And that was a wake-up call. But, but here's where I fully realized that because Emily was taken in an ambulance to UC because they recommend if a car flips, you know, to go to the trauma unit there. And uh, literally, less than five minutes before Emily called me, the accident happened at 4.50 p.m. She calls me at 4.51 p.m. I told her that's a little bit out of order. Call 911 first next time. If there is a next time. Somebody else, fortunately, had called. But she said, she, you know, just wanted to hear my voice or let me know that she's okay. And so... Um, but literally, less than five minutes before I got the phone call from Emily, I had just sent a message back to Tara Ingalls. And Adam and Tara Ingalls are a young couple in, uh, in our church and unfortunately um, experienced the loss uh, of their child during pregnancy. And there's a lot to their story, and it's just devastating and tragic. We've been praying for them. And she had messaged me that at 5.30, that same day, May 31st, she was going in for a C-section to give birth to um, their stillborn baby, Madison. And it was due to a genetic disorder, and this was the second time that they had gone through this. And so this was, and so I'm processing all of this, because I, and I, I've been here for 17 years. I know, unfortunately, so many of, of our church family, families have gone through this, where there's been a car accident, and it didn't turn out okay, right? And, and, and many of those people probably didn't come to church on Mother's Day or today, because it's just too difficult because of the loss there. So I'm trying to process this, like, who, who is God in all this? What does this mean for me? My wife's okay. What does this mean for them? And, you know, I've I've told the story before, but it brought me back to when I was six years old. I had a bicycle accident where I was hit by a car and a decent impact where I was kind of flipped up on top of the car, went to the hospital, and it didn't have any broken bones or anything. And my mom's in the hospital room, and one of her friends comes to the room and says to my mom, because I was okay, she says to my mom, God was really with your son today. And my mom said to this woman, If my son would have died today, God still would have been with my son. You see, the reality when we think about God as our father, he's not a circumstantial God. And so the circumstances want to tell us otherwise. God's gone. He's abandoned us. And so from a worldly perspective, we even use words like blessed due to things turning out okay. When God's blessings supersede that, his presence is what carries us. And so it's, you know, as I journeyed through this and, you know, continued conversation with Adam and Tara and how they were processing all of this, it just brought to the surface the power of being with. When you think about relationships, especially as a parent, the power of being with as we pursue a God back who simply wants to be with us through it all. So we have a God who is just as with us when we fall and when life falls apart. So how do I know that God has been with Adam and Tara through yet another tragic loss. Well, I experienced this very practically because later that week, Tara, after having gone through that, here's what she messaged back to me. She said, we heard about Emily's wreck. I'm so glad she's okay and the baby wasn't with her. We are praying for her continued healing. I mean, here's a family who's in it, right? The worst kind of loss, a child, right, that they had named But somebody who is going through that, who has the ability, the capacity to feel and live and think and care outside of themselves, for me, that was a humbling thing. Because everything turned out okay for Emily and I, but not for Adam and Tara. And here they are, two people navigating that loss, 
praying for us, grateful for us. Deuteronomy chapter 31, 6, I'd have to believe is an anchor verse for them we can all draw strength from, simply says, so be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. Think about that practically. He will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. See, as we go through life and bad things happen, we ask, where are you, God? And that's okay. He wants us to bring our honesty. And we're not sure where he is in this or where he will be. And holding on to that promise above the circumstance that is happening right in front of us that we feel the weight of the emotion of is a difficult thing to do. It's a daily discipline of surrender saying, God, I don't, I don't agree with the reality of what happened. I don't want to be going through this. I, I have to believe you could have done something different in this, but I'm trusting you that you're going ahead of me. You're pulling me through this, choosing to place all my trust in you. And so it is with parenting. As parents, as fathers, we have the great responsibility of reflecting the reality of a father in heaven who always goes before us and always draws near. He always comes close. He always cares. You see, practically, my instinctive thought, and I've talked to many of you, other parents, you know, other dads specifically, you know, when the baby is first born, it's like, well, practically, I guess I'm not really needed. I mean, right? Like, as long as mom's there, right, to, to feed the baby and, you know. And so it's like a lot of new dads, and I felt this as well. It's like, oh, when he turns one, it'll get really fun, Right? Not that you're wanting to wish the time away, but you want them to be responsive, you want to throw the ball around, you want to play. It's like, hey, you need, come on now, you, you got mom, you're good to go. And so I've read, you know, in this, you know, nine, ten month journey now, a lot on, you know, this journey of, of parenthood and the impact, emotional impact, uh, and just certain things are very fascinating. And most of you already know, like, right when a baby's born, the skin-on-skin -skin contact, the bonding that takes place, like, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense, really. But it's been proven, you know, through science that that really matters. And so here specifically, I read a book called The New Father Book. Uh, I read one called The Expectant Father by the same author. And so this book talks about kind of those first, the first year, and the chapters are broken up into to each of the first months. And so I'm going to read what they point out research says, and you're going to be like, come on now, really? And obviously there's layers to this conversation, but what if this is actually true? You think about what's at stake. Here's what it says in that book. Numerous studies have shown that the more involved dads are with their infants, the better they perform on all sorts of intelligence tests. Like, that, is, that doesn't make any sense, but research has shown, and it doesn't mean like, the, you know, it's going to become Einstein or something like that, the more you hold him or something, but it's like, it matters, right? They're pointing out that it matters. They also say, babies who are deprived of quality time with their fathers in the first year of life often have problems forming stable relationships later in life. Now, I'm probably, you're probably like me, you're like, well, that's pretty extreme, but it's, it matters on some level that can't be measured until later in life. Another thing they point out, the more actively involved dads are with their babies, the more physically coordinated they are. They also feel more comfortable around strangers and handle stressful situations better. Isn't that interesting? And this is God's design. Something that you can't see the result of in the moment, but the importance of nearness, of closeness, of bonding at the very beginning of their lives. So if I'm aiming to love my son, my son Levi, like God the Father loves me, what does that look like? Here's what it means. It means I will be a dad who pursues. I will be a dad who pursues. Why? Because I belong to a God who pursues me. So I want Levi to know that I'm interested in him. I'm pursuing time attention with him, 
I value our relationship. Psalm chapter 139, David the author is speaking to God. He says this, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. He sees God as a God who's just always there. Now, I understand if you're a teenager, listen to this, you're like, no, my parents don't need to hear this. They're, all, they're too much and about being there, right? They're, I want them to not be there. Sometimes I need my space, I need boundaries, right? Like, I get that stage of life, but here's what I do know. Later in life, your teenager's not gonna look back and say, man, so annoying how much my parents cared about me, right? Right, no, you know, this isn't about like, you know, we're not recommending helicopter parenting, right? You're following, you know, going with them on their first dates and you, ridiculous things like that, right? That's not what we're saying. But a parent who is connected, a parent who, who cares. So if you're a dad, would your child say, I have a dad who is interested in me. He pursues time with me, takes interest in my interests, treasures time with me. Now my dad, he wasn't a perfect dad, a lot more things he could have done better, but the one thing that he did better than anything else is he was always there. And this is why this resonates with me so much, and this is why it resonates with my relationship with God so much, a God who was always there. So again, my dad wasn't a perfect dad, but I grew up playing sports, you know, ran cross country and track, played basketball and soccer. He was at all of them. My dad has never worked a nine to five job. He's owned a small business. He's 68 years old and owns a, that business to this day and so works a lot of hours. But I'm sure there was a time, but I can't remember one single time where he said to me, I've got a lot of work going on. I'll make sure and make the next game. I'll make sure and make the next meet. And when I saw, and he, it's cool because, you know, he had one of those big video cameras, right, that he would take to all my bass. Yes, the younger people are like, what's VHS? Yeah, you put a VHS tape in this video camera that you could not hold, you know, for very long. You had to put it on your shoulder. He videotaped all my games, you know, so that I could watch them afterwards, and he took joy in that. It made him glad to just watch me live. He was always there. My mom and dad, my, my senior year of college, playing basketball for Cincinnati Christian University, uh, and uh, we made the national tournament, which was in Oklahoma City which is exciting, but I had sprained my ankle the last home game of the regular season, and so it was bad enough where I could hardly play, especially like if the game mattered. It's like a you know, point spread kind of limping around at the end. It was that deal. There's no good reason for my parents to drive to Oklahoma City from Wabash, Indiana, because they're going to watch their son sit on the bench. So they made the drive, however many hours, to watch their son sit on the bench until the very last game when I'm the only senior on the team and the game didn't matter anymore because our team lost the first two games. It's like, yeah, have the senior go out there, limp around, bombing threes, and you know, parents clapping. It wasn't quality time at all, but my parents wouldn't have it any other way. It's time, it's attention, it's value, right? They're in their own bookstore at the time. They got a lot going on, but it was worth it. And I love the fact that my dad's gonna be here during, during second hour. See, I wanna be a dad who always understands that my presence today will always be important than the promise of my presence tomorrow. I wanna to be a dad who always understands that my presence today will always be more important than the promise of my presence tomorrow. So you might currently you know, be in a stage where you're wondering if your efforts matter. And this is what I love about having a, a God, a father in God who is always there and trying to replicate that because I already feel the pressure of having to say the right thing, to do the right thing, right? Use the right words, right? When Levi gets older. But I know that what will supersede any perceived wisdom that I try to lay upon him is my presence. I just keep showing up. All of us can do that. That's, that's effort, isn't it? See, a father's love looks like availability. 
A father's love looks like availability. Do your kids see you as someone who is available? This past week, I went to, to the chiropractor, and Emily and my wife and I are both going to the chiropractor now, uh, and uh, you know, two, more often than we would like, but getting good help there. And so showed up at the chiropractor, and his six-year-old son uh, was, was with him that day, right? Came to work with his dad that day. I was like, and so I got to talking to him, and of course, he's off school, and he's wanted to come to work with dad. And uh, he said his mom and his sister went to the children's museum. My first thought was like, Really? You didn't want to go to the children's museum? That sounds a whole lot more fun than coming to, to work with dad because who knows what you're going to do because dad has to work. He said he wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And what I love is, is a dad who sees his son as far from an intrusion. I mean, he's at work. He's got a lot to do. But he loves, he finds joy and gladness in the fact that his son is there. And obviously his son does too because he's choosing to be there over going to the children's museum. It's a beautiful picture. See, when we treasure our children... We reflect to them that we have a Father God who treasures us, who delights in us, who loves just watching us live. He's made us on purpose. Psalm 139 paints a beautiful picture. You may be familiar with the scripture. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I mean, God created us each uniquely. And so as parents, we get to reflect that. As grandparents, right? And the way that we value our kids and our grandchildren, like, why? You're made on purpose. There's nobody else like you. Do they feel how much we're treasuring them, valuing them in the moment? So, you know, again, I'm I'm sure I'm the same as as all new parents. We're just so fascinated by by Levi, you know, coming into the world for the very first time, you know, responding to the world around him. And it's kind of like watching, I feel like, you know, family's over or friends and, you know, we're surrounding Levi. I feel like we're kind of at the zoo, you know, watching, you know, a new animal. Hey, he moved his hand, right? He's opening his eyes. It's like, yeah, every single thing is fascinating. Just the idea of his fingers and him realizing he has fingers and just the little things that he, that he does. Every time he sneezes, he throws both of his hands up in the air. That's hilarious. And like, he's not going to be doing that, I'm assuming, when he's a teenager. That would also be hilarious, but also weird. But in the meantime, it's just fascinating to watch every little thing about him the way he's experiencing life for the very first time. See, we have a father who delights in us. He never tires of us. We have a father who always wants us around. We have a father in God who wants an everyday relationship with us. So the question becomes, right, and this is the weight of responsibility that I'm beginning to feel, do our kids learn about that kind of father by the way that we love them? Do your kids see you as someone who never writes them off? Right? And I know, I, I know many of your stories, right? You have adult children, you're feeling the weight of this, right? And you, you're, you're longing for reunion, reconciliation. So do your kids see you as someone who never writes them off? No matter their behavior, their failure, their current attitude, it's hard. What communicates availability more than anything else, I believe, is full-time open arms. When a kid, thinking about their parent, somebody's arms are always wide open. That's what God the Father's arms look like. I want to show a video that I, I love the way in which this video, video communicates the power of and the strength of, of open arms. And what I specifically love about this video is how few words are even used. In fact, there aren't any words used by the dads themselves. It's just the visual of the power of open arms. Check it out.
this kind of video hits everybody at a different stage of life, and this is what I love about one thing that doesn't change regardless of your stage of life is the power of closeness, power of nearness. 1992 um, Olympics, there was a powerful moment that happened between a father and a son. Uh, the 400-meter race was going on. Uh, Derek Redman, Great Britain, was hoping to get a medal and pulled his hamstring, and he's limping right halfway through the race because he just wants to finish at that point. And he's struggling, right? Tore his hamstring. It's a pretty significant injury. And he turns the, the, the final uh, corner to come into the home stretch, and he's barely making it along. And his dad comes from the stands running toward his son to help him to the finish line. Here's a picture. Now, if you were to watch the video, and I would have loved to show you the video, but the Olympics rejected that request because they, you know, full disclosure there, uh, recommend watching that video online. But what you will see in pictures and video is a father running out of the stands to his son, and there's at least three officials that try to stop him. <laughs> yeah, good luck. That ain't happening. In the, you'll sit, in the video, you'll see the father like, back up. No, we're fin I'm helping my son finish the race. Nobody's going to stop me. Nobody's going to get in the way. That's the love of a father coming with a son in the most significant moment of his athletic career. I'm going to help my son finish this race. There's nothing that's going to get in the way. And so there's power found in perseverance of a father doing whatever it takes to walk, to limp, to carry his son to where he wants to go in life, his primary support. But there's even more power. And a father who comes near, who even runs toward his son, who isn't even deserving because of his behavior. So I want to close the message just alluding to a story maybe you're familiar with in Scripture, the, the prodigal son. Luke chapter 15 uh, describes a son who uh, wanted his inheritance from his father. And so it was a lot of money, and that's what he wanted. He wanted to go live his life, and so he does, and he lives it recklessly, and he loses all of his money in a pretty, uh, pretty fast way. And so he's hit rock bottom. He has nobody in his life. He he can't, can't make any money, right? He has nothing good going on, and so he's hoping to go back to his father just to work as a servant. That's, that would be success in his mind, so he decides to go back. And, and Scripture reads in, in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, that when the son came toward his father's house, where he, used, where he grew up, where he had the, you know, the, the best life one could have, it says in Scripture that the father saw him Right from far off, which you know, commentaries say it means the father was longing for, hoping, looking for the son that maybe he would come back one day. And here's what we read. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. I love this. He ran. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, from my perspective, I think that's backwards. Shouldn't the son be running to the father desperately? <laughs> Not with this kind of father's love. The father ran to the son because it didn't matter that he took his inheritance, that he disagreed with his son's decision, that his son was throwing his life away. It's ultimate grace. It's open arms. See, I want to be a dad who runs to my son. I want to be a dad who runs to my son no matter what. Why? Because I have a father in heaven. You have a father in heaven who came running after you when we were far from deserving. He had no reason to send his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross for us. We did nothing to earn that. But Romans chapter 5, 8 tells us why he did. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Wow. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what's at stake, as parents especially. While our kids are not acting like they should be, while they're rejecting us, refusing us, going their own way, do we still live with arms wide open? 
May we be dads. May we be parents who never give up on our kids and do everything we can to communicate to them. We're always there for them. We deeply treasure the gift of their presence. And in our pursuit of loving our children well, may we find God like never before as we realize just how pursued and deeply loved we are, as we are. So as we wrap up this series and, and reflect about how God is pursuing us and is always with us, I understand on this day, Father's Day, I want my son to one day be asked the question by somebody in his life, why is it that you believe in God? And I hope that one of the reasons he gives is he says, because I have a dad. I've seen my dad and how much he loves God. And I've also seen how much interest my dad takes in me, how much he loves me. And he connects those two things. This is God's design. In my son's life, I want to be the best witness of God he has, the best example of God's love he sees. It's a great responsibility. So may we all be strong. May we all be courageous and together step into this responsibility boldly. We have each other, the church family in this. We can be the best parents, the best examples, influencers of God the Father and those around us.